Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Absolutely. I don't know if there's footage of me. I lost my mind because one, whether it was a mark or a free kick, either you could argue, but then you had blood and he's trying to exit the field, we didn't get a chance to replace the player. In a critical moment, I, I was astounded by it. Is he OK? Because he had a concussion he lost. Yeah, no, he's fine, but he had blood. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. I don't know whether we need an explanation for it. I probably won't search for it, but I just found it staggering. And then the calls have analysed Jordy to go. Yeah, <laughs> he almost hit the dock. Like, isn't there a duty of care within that? I, yeah, anyway, we move on. Collingwood coach Craig McRae, there were a couple of baffling umpiring decisions late in that game. Collingwood versus Adelaide, of course, the Pies stormed over the top of the Crows who were inaccurate and it cost them the match. Um, the, the one on Nathan Murphy was a bit surprising. I think it was Josh Rochelle, like tried to spoil him from front on and basically belted him in the nose. Now, it was an accidental contact, but it had to be a free kick. Um, it clearly had to be a free kick. And uh, and then, yeah, the rest of it unfolded from there. I, I'm not as critical of the deliberate out-of-bounds being paid um, against Jordan Degoe. Um Jordan Degoe socketed the ball towards the boundary line, and under the AFL's interpretation... That basically means that um, it's insufficient intent. I'm sorry, there are some unfortunate circumstances around things like this, but it was insufficient intent. And the fact that the umpire hadn't seen the blood on Nathan Murphy's face and uh, therefore didn't realise he was being replaced under the blood rule probably meant that um, uh, there was no scope to, to change that ruling. And I think the other one that was a pretty blatant decision in that game was the... Um, the lack of a call for high contact on Ash Johnson as he was pulled down in the goal square when he was about to kick a goal. That was certainly a high tackle. Should have been paid. These things happen. Um, probably uh, with the crowd noise, the noise of affirmation, as some of them like to call it, um, didn't get paid with the the Adelaide crowd roaring from the crows. More fascinating is Collingwood's ability to come from behind and win time after time after time. 10 out of 13 now for the Magpies. But we now have Daniel Cherney from Code Sports on the line. I'm um, going to talk about a lot of matters that have happened on the East Coast over the weekend. Uh, in particular, the appointment and the announcement of a new AFL CEO. Dan Cherney, what sort of CEO will Andrew Dillon be? Morning, Darth. Look, I think overall Andrew Dillon will be a very solid and very sound CEO. He, he is not. He shares some similarities with Gil McLaughlin, and sort of that's, uh, I suppose, the the uh, top end of town and, and, and an insider, I suppose. Uh, it's, it's a very safe pair of hands, in my view. Uh, I've had a little bit to do with Andrew Dillon over the years, and he's always impressed me with his um, demeanour. Uh, Andrew Dillon, I think the, the one thing about him that probably most impresses me is that even those who have been particularly critical of the AFL and having spoken to people who have been very hard on the league for the way they've handled concussion, etc., even they have tended to have, have a lot of time for Andrew Dillon and he's been, he's been very good at appeasing people like that. He's very clever. 
very switched on. I don't think he's anywhere near as charismatic as Gillan McLaughlin, but few are. Uh, and Gillan sort of has that air, and, and I suppose you look at him, I suppose just down to his height and his, you know, his, uh, his hair and just everything about him, he has that presence. But uh, I think Andrew Dillon will, will make a very good CEO, and um, I, th- I think he's a, a very solid choice. I think Brendan Gale would have as well. Um, I'm a bit disappointed for Brendan Gale that he didn't get um, didn't get the nod, and perhaps that he didn't get a closer look in. And there does seem to be this. Well, the perception is there's this set against him from members of the AFL Commission, but if you, I don't think they've done it. I don't think Andrew Dillon is a bad choice at all, and uh, you know, you wish him well. Did Gale, would Do we have any idea as to where Gale might have run in this process, Daniel? And and you mentioned that the set against him from the AFL. Does this go back to 2020, perhaps, when the Tigers were known as one of the more problematic clubs during the hub in Queensland? Look, I think there's a perception out there that that's the case. I mean, I've never heard it directly from anyone, um, particularly senior at the AFL, so they have a set against Brendan Gale. But this is just the way it's sort of the narrative, the prevailing narrative that sort of seemed to seep out. And, you know, whether that's right or wrong, it's hard to know. But um, I suppose these are backroom conversations that, that you probably never really get aired in full. Uh, I think certainly Richmond didn't handle themselves very well uh, at stages during that, that COVID year. Obviously, they won the premiership, so good luck to them. They're the last laugh. But uh, I think Brendan was sort of loosely in the mix, but uh, I don't think he was ever really a major front-runner from the AFL's end. Uh, it sounds like, if anything, Kylie Watson-Wheeler towards the end there and, and uh, I suppose Travis Old as well were, um, were probably a bit closer than, than Brendan Gale. But, you know, they don't. the truth of the matter is they don't show a, uh, a photo finish in the Melbourne Cup. You don't see how many lengths behind Brendan Gale was. It's uh, All this stuff is, is hard to get a full read on and they only announce the winner and the rest is sort of left for us to try to decipher and pick and pick up the pieces and um, infer things um, that, uh, that that may not may or may not be there. What do you make of a process? It's a million dollars is said to be a worldwide search and ends up finding the bloke two doors away in the office. Look, it is funny, isn't it? Uh, it's hard to deny, and this is now a long, long, long history of the AFL um, looking for an, you know, going the inside job. Uh, Gillian McLaughlin was, was effectively Andrew Dimitriou's 2IC. Andrew Dimitri was effectively Wayne Jackson's 2IC. And that's now more than uh, almost 20 years ago since Wayne Jackson departed his post uh, in, in 2003. Uh, you, you probably have to go back to Jackson himself, um, who was a, a touch of an outsider from South Australia, and then Ross Oakley. So, and they tend to have pretty long tenures, don't they? I mean, we're talking um, Jackson probably the shortest of that, and he was a solid seven years. So they tend to be in these jobs for for an extended period. They're, they're long-term uh, appointments, so to speak, and you know probably speaks to the overall stability and, and solidarity of the AFL um, that they they tend to go that way. And I think look, there is the thing with the AFL is it, it, it's the it's what happens when you are the leader in your field. You, you tend not to have to innovate a great deal. You sort of contend on the side of conservatism, and I think the AFL probably have done so. Because there's been no need to look outside the tent because there have not been, yes, there have been crises within the game, but there have not been, with the exception of COVID, which Gil McLaughlin, you have to say, did a very good job of steering the league through. There have not been existential crises. These are not the sort of issues that, that uh, I suppose, sports like soccer, uh, like rugby union, probably to a lesser extent, rugby league and even cricket have had to deal with. 
the AFL football has been the powerhouse in Australian sport for a long, long time on on just about every metric. And therefore, uh, it's understandable at some level that they've gone to those that they feel have served their apprenticeship inside the tent rather than looking uh, external. Well, not to say they didn't look externally, but rather than opting for, to, to go for someone external. But I suppose you could say, um, given that Dylan was probably the favourite when the uh, when McLaughlin first announced his departure more than a year ago, uh, it does at one level appear like a, a bit of a waste of money at, at some at some level. He's always been talked about as the front runner, hasn't he? What's he going to do? Like it just feels like all the big ticket items are going to be ticked off by Gillan McLaughlin before he exits the building in October. So, what, what will be the, the the main items on the agenda for Andrew Dillon to accomplish when he takes the chair? Do you think? Right, the, the, his, I mean, the TV rights was, was a huge one last year, and um, the CBA now negotiations are uh, very much ongoing there. And we've seen sort of some a bit of a war, well, maybe not a war of words, but certainly the AFLPA making their feelings known about certain AFL proposals in uh, in recent days and weeks. Uh, and then on the flip side, and then well, you've got the Tasmanian decision, which is obviously a massive one, AFLW. Um, and and its growth has, has occurred under the Coloquins watch, uh, and then there's the sort of the, um, the side issue, but, but still a very important one of of the Hawthorne racism investigation. But the nature of the AFL is that things just pop up, um, and while it may appear that a lot of the big ticket items at the moment all ticked off, you, you just never know when things are going to arise, and um, the the issues around race, concussion. Uh, which Andrew Dillon has been centrally involved in is his role as, uh, as AFL um, head legal counsel. Um, this special counsel has, has been central there as well. So I think that's going to be the biggest issue for the AFL over the next decade. Um, you know, and with the introduction, it's one thing to bring in the 19th team, but there will be a whole lot of headaches and issues that will need to be unfolded from in terms of the actual introduction. It's one thing that we know, now know there's going to be a 19th club, but as we've seen with the Suns and the Giants, and you know, even back before them, you know, I mean, you would know this better than most stuff. The power, the Dockers, the Eagles, Crows, um, and then the Brisbane Bears, and the move of the Sydney Swans way back in '82. There are a whole heap of issues that can occur when you bring in a new club. And you've got to get it right, and the AFL are going to be clearly centrally involved in that. So, plus the expansion of AFLW, where that heads, does it go to full-time professionalism? Um, you know, there's going to be continued issues around. The political landscape, um, I think, you know, transgender issues in sport, uh, something that's not going away either. So there are going to be plenty of minefields for, um, for plenty of minds for, for which Andrew Dillon's going to have to navigate. Uh, and I think in, in that respect, he's a very safe pair of, uh, pair of hands with, uh, to navigate them. And probably strong legal background, which is probably going to import, be important as far as the concussion one goes, I would imagine, and, and potentially with the Hawthorne um, situation as well. Um, what will Gil McLaughlin's legacy be, do you think, to footy? Look, I, I read um, Mark Robinson's piece in the Herald Sun today, and I think that was, uh, he made a very strong point that probably two key legacies, when you look back at when the history of, you know, well, it's always being written, but you know, if they write a history of Australian football in 2058 for the 200th anniversary of the code, uh, I, th- I think when you look back at Gillan McLaughlin's tenure, uh, I think the major um, the major initiative has to have been AFLW. The you know a women's competition is absolutely ground well groundbreaking certainly from from this sports perspective, not groundbreaking globally or by any stretch. But um, they probably went a few years ahead of when they initially planned. They took a punt. It certainly hasn't been all smooth, but 
when you look at the growth of participation from a girls' perspective and the fact that we now have 18 clubs uh, all playing AFLW, and I suppose soon enough it'll be 19 with Tasmania, uh, that, that is the, uh, that's probably the number one in my view. And then Tasmania itself, um, a historic football state, um, a traditional football state that has been for decades denied a team uh, and, and to bring in that team, albeit it won't be technically under his watch that uh, the club has actually come into the competition, but, but certainly... Um, you know, he will have been played a central role in, in getting to that point where we're, we're about to, it's going to, about to be announced, it appears. That, that's a central one. And I think the third for mine, in terms of, um, you know, positive legacy pieces, is the way that he steered the game through the pandemic, which was a once-in-a-century event. Um, it's funny, I remember sort of thinking back in March 2020 that that would have put the kibosh on any hopes for the Tasmanian team anytime soon um, because... There were enough existential issues around the league itself and the 18 clubs that surely there was no thought to bring in 19. Um, and that was going to sort of put, put a dampener on things. But somehow um, the AFL did, did an outstanding job to get through and um, you know maintain its, its role as sort of the, the, the clear pace setter in Australian sport um, in terms of size and scale. But you know there, there have been some black marks against his against his uh, tenure. Clearly, I, th- I think race more than all. Uh, the Adam Goods affair was not handled well at the time, uh, and the fact that the Adelaide camp, um, the Collingwood staff. Now I know you know he's not directly involved in that, and, and now the Hawthorne stuff. The fact that it's all happened in under his watch. Um, that, that's that's a I suppose a negative, and and uh, when you look at how his era is defined, these race scandals will uh, be a significant marker of them as well. Tasmania, you mentioned the $240 million confirmation from the Albanese government that that money will be tipped in. It's pretty much a fait accompli now, isn't it? We get a 19th team. I think so. I think so. Um, And it really has turned because there were stages last year when there was a lot of scepticism from from Kyle Lander. There's something still a a little bit from presidents. Um, I think Andrew Pridham has been, uh, the Sydney Swans chairman has been... um, extremely cautious around this and has been you know, pretty sceptical as to whether um, it was all going to fall into place. Uh, Jeff Brown, calling the president, likewise. Certainly the former Gold Coast Suns chairman, Tony Cochran, was uh, was uh, very outspoken on the matter and, and probably a couple of other clubs that maybe uh, weren't quite as um, forthright with their views but uh, certainly had their doubts as well. But I think overwhelmingly the AFL has done a job in getting just about everyone to the table. I think the fact that it's a relatively inexperienced bunch of club presidents and chairs um, has probably worked in the overall advantage. There probably hasn't been that much pushback from club land. And even over the, the way this CEO process has dragged on and on and on, um, it, it's, it's never reached a full-on mutiny. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's going to happen now. The presidents, I believe, are due to vote as early as tomorrow. Um, so it's been a, you know, as they say, a big week in football. We've had a new CEO and a new team. Uh, that certainly doesn't happen very often. Yeah, but as I said at the top of the show, big weekend, big announcements, big big forwards kicking big goal tallies, um, and another big comeback from Collingwood. I'm fascinated by the Pies' ability to come from behind. I think it's 10 of 13 now. They've come from behind at three-quarter time to win. I'm also fascinated about how slowly other teams learn that you can't defend a lead against Collingwood. You have to keep attacking. The Crows made the mistake again last night and they paid the price for that and their own inaccuracy. For sure. No, they are they are wonders. And I think 
I liked how Craig McRae said it after the Essendon game. I didn't see that much of his press conference last night in Adelaide because I was covering the Richmond Gold Coast game. But uh, he was he said after the Essendon game on Anzac Day that they make you play every minute, Collingwood. They force the opposition and they you know, they played 120 minutes, and uh, certainly that, that has been the case. It's extraordinary. I mean, I, you know, full admission, I, I took Collingwood to miss the eight this year. I thought they would drop back on the back of all those close wins last year that they would sort of regress towards the mean, that it was a bit of a bit fluky. Not to say they were a poor side by any stretch, but uh, they have kept bucking the trend, um, albeit they lost a couple of close finals last year. But they do keep, for the most part, winning these close games, coming from behind as well. So some of these close games they've won actually hanging on to leads. Um, but you're right. I think it's. I think clubs are going to have to try to take a different tack overall because it, you know whatever clubs are trying, you know for the most part, it's clearly not working. And Collingwood, you know, it does become a bit mental as well. I think after a while, and I think their fan base also plays a role here in pushing them over the line in these close games. I think um, there's that weight of momentum, um, and the you know I think players feel as though they're sort of drowning in the. In the in the, this chorus of, of uh, raucous Collingwood fans, even in an away game in Adelaide, that they still have a pretty good following there last night. So, and particularly on Anzac Day against Essendon when it was ninety five thousand plus. Yep. Uh, so, yeah, clubs are going to have to take it on. But I think you know, poor goalkeeping certainly plays a role as well. And the Pies. Uh, it's funny actually talking about it. Collingwood's good goal, good goal kicking after they won a game with a behind uh, to win. But it was just those really smart plays in the, in the dying moments. Ash Johnson rushing through the levelling behind, still side bottom, seemingly steering it through, aiming to go for a point there in, in, the, in the dying stages. I'm not completely certain that was what he was aiming to do, but in any case, it, uh, it worked well. So they have um, they have found a way and uh, I think deserve to be premiership favourites at this point. Yeah, absolutely. I love their method. I think they're great to watch. Um, I just am fascinated by... It did twig to me when they nearly ran down Sydney in that preliminary final. The minute you stop playing against Collingwood they set up to beat you and they get really, really assertive. And so other teams just have to acknowledge that and sort of go, well, okay, if that they're that assertive, the only way to shut them up is to score more. And um, and the minute you try or you stop trying to score, I think you're playing right into their hands and um, it's a credit to them. But um, sometimes other teams don't learn that quickly. You mentioned you covered the Tigers-Suns game. The Tigers are done now, aren't they? Oh, yes, I, I think so. I mean... I thought that at the end of last year, you know, we discuss this just about every week. Uh, I was pretty sceptical about how they'd go this year, uh, given Toronto and Hopper. I don't think necessarily moved the needle quite that much, uh, and I think ultimately Richmond has an aging list, uh, and their stars are past their best. And nothing I've seen this year has, um, has suggested anything different. Uh, clearly, they've been badly hit by injuries, and if you bring Tom Lynch and Toby Nankervis and a couple of others back in that side. They, uh, they're, they're a fair better team, fairly better team. But um, nonetheless, they lost by four goals at home to the Gold Coast Suns and really looked in the game. Uh, you know, they challenged a bit late but made a lot of elementary errors. They just don't have that edge about them at all anymore. Um, Everything is laborious. They're in games, but it's very patchy. And I just think they're sort of... They're not a horrible side because they're not, you know, they're not West Coast. They're not North Melbourne. They're not Hawthorne. They're not a completely dreadful side. They've been in just about every game they've played. In fact, probably they have been in all the games they've played at some level. But they're not. They're far from um, a complete package. And more to the point, it's not as though they're building into anything here. I just feel as though they're a meandering, middling to an older side, has a smattering of younger players, 
few of whom are, look like they have real star quality. Um, you know, they're showing glimpses, but uh, they're just a side that's middle of the road, you know, but just beneath middle of the road, semi-competitive, but not going to challenge. And um, the problem for them is that that wouldn't be pro- that problematic, except that they've got rid of their early draft picks um, with these trade trades in. Um, so they look like they've uh, seriously miscalculated. I know it's still around around seven, but I can't see them making the eight from here. Um, and you know they, they will be doing well at this point to uh, to try to finish you know any higher than eleventh or so. Uh, and it won't really at this point. It's a bit of a salvage mission with, with without the lure of uh, the early draft pick because it's been traded to the Giants. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, Geelong versus Essendon is the gap between those two clubs that big, or did the Bombers struggle to get up off the five day break off Anzac Day? Do you think? You say in the end that the gap was only five goals. Essendon um, sort of did kick on late and uh, added a bit of respectability to the, to the scoreboard, but certainly Geelong you know, absolutely crushed Essendon early and then had the game pretty much beyond doubt by half time. It was a really high scoring game. Uh, we wish we would have seen a bit more of it, um, as I said, given I was at the, uh, the other ground. But uh, I thought uh, you know, Geelong are playing, you know, they're back, aren't they? Certainly at some level. Um, I think close enough to, to their best. The four and three, they're right back in the premiership mix. They're only a game off top spot, a couple of games off top spot, and they're going off second. Uh, the percentage on the back of some of these massive wins is, um, is already a major competitive advantage. So, yeah, they're back. <laughs> I mean, Tom Hawkins, unbelievable. So I think he can do that in what is his 17th season when we look just about done off the back of no preseason, he's kicked eight. Now, I know he's up against an undermanned Essendon forward line, but you know, with Hawkins and Cameron backfiring, um, and Paddy Dangerfield playing really well, and some of their role players starting to to hum as well. They're going to take some stopping again. So I think you know I said Collingwood deserves to be premiership favourites, and I think they do. But you know I, I don't think Geelong are too far off. And eh, that's for Essendon. Look, um, weren't disgraced and a good result for them that they they managed to keep within five goals in the, in the end, sort of retain some pride. It's probably been a little bit of a regression to the mean for them, having had it faced a couple of the better sides. In the last week, five-day break certainly doesn't help, although it doesn't seem to hurt Collingwood too much in the end. Um, but, you know, I think Essendon know where they're at, but they're not, they, don't, they don't think that they're a serious contender this year. They've certainly been playing down expectations, both internally and externally. So they've just got to start, they've got to just consolidate. The fact that they won those early games means the pressure is a fair way off Brad Scott at the moment. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think they will lose too much sleep over that game, losing to the reigning premiers by five goals on a five-day break. Dan Cherney from Code Sports. Always pleasure to hear your insights on the show. Thanks very much, mate. Look forward to reading your stuff uh, this afternoon and tomorrow. Thanks, Duff. Good on you. Dan Cherney from Code Sports. We'll take a break and we'll be back with more of the show after the break. If you want to have your say, it's the Temperate Bedshed text line on 0487 736 736 or call us on the open line 13 12 55.